please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you, as Elder Hillegas pointed out, you had some rain earlier and you'll have some rain later, but for now, uh, in this window of our worship that we've come together uh, to bring you our praise and our thanks and to hear from your word, uh, you've given us a dry time. We thank you very much for that. We don't want to take that for granted. Again, I thank you for all the hard work that went into uh, setting up today. All those who uh, participated yesterday uh, to clean out the barn and, and get it ready uh, for us to have our uh, barbecue luncheon in afterwards. All those who cut the grass, uh, made sure everything was set up this morning. Uh, we definitely wouldn't have been able to do anything we're doing today if it weren't for them. I thank you for your faithful servants. I thank you for all that you are doing. Today is homecoming Sunday. And it's a time for us to reflect on, as we all uh, come together on, on the same Sunday, uh, it's a time for us to reflect on all of the many blessings you have given to us, how you have led us, how you've grown our church family, uh, how, we, how we need a pictorial directory now uh, because of all the uh, newer people to our church family and being able to put faces to names. Uh, you are too good. You are too good to us, and we want to give you all the praise and all the thanks and all the glory that you deserve. So now, Lord, as we take a look at your word, your unchanging, um, always relevant, always truthful word, I pray that you bless our time this morning and, and, and our, our fellowship time later. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. But I grew up in a, in a small city named Auburn, New York, just outside of Syracuse, New York. So I'm a big uh, Syracuse University fan, a big Buffalo Bills fan. Uh, so the first time uh, my wife, Cherry, and I went back to my hometown of Auburn, New York, after having gotten married and having been living in Philadelphia, it had been three years before we got back there to visit again. Over those three years, I had moved to Philadelphia. Cherry and I got married, and Cherry had finished up her last two years of undergraduate school, commuting back and forth from Philadelphia to Manhattan. She did it. She got it done. So suffice it to say, we had quite—we were—we we had been uh, quite a bit occupied. So occupied, like I said, that it had been three years before we were able to go visit Auburn again. And as we got closer to the outskirts of the city of Auburn. I told Cherry, turn the GPS off. I want to see if I can get us to my parents' house on my own. You know, like a guy would say. And, and as what happens to us guys, as sad as it sounds, I had completely forgotten how to get to my parents' house in that short period of time. So as the streets themselves looked familiar, but the memory of where to go just wasn't there, I turned to Cherry and I said, uh, I better put that GPS back on again. <laughs> now, how silly is that? that? I wasn't able to navigate the streets of a city I lived in my whole life prior to moving to Philly, and I wasn't able to find the house I had grown up in for 20 years. That's just pathetic. Uh, today, of course, is Homecoming Sunday. And for other churches, it's a time for all those who had left the church or moved away uh, or moved on to return to the church they had called home for so many years. Our church, the cool thing, is that everyone here 
is current church family or you're visiting for the first time. And some is newer family members, others you've been here for decades. Life gets busy sometimes, so for us this is an opportunity to all come together as much as possible on the same Sunday for our worship of our mighty God and strengthening fellowship in the Holy Spirit. We're going to be looking a little bit today at another kind of homecoming today, one that may, we may not have thought about all that much today. We've all heard of the man named Moses. Who's heard of Moses here? I think we've all heard of Moses, saved from slaughter as a baby, raised in the Egyptian palace with the best education one could receive in those days, killing an Egyptian taskmaster, running away to Midian, getting married, raising sheep for 40 years, and being visited by God in the form of a burning bush. We also know the rest of the story. Now after 10 plagues on Egypt, Pharaoh finally let the enslaved Israelites go, and Moses led them to Mount Sinai, received the law, and then had to lead a rebellious people through the wilderness for 40 years. What I want to spend a little time on this morning is the experience in the middle of all of that, when Moses and his family returned to Egypt. This was the land that he had left 40 years ago. It wasn't just three, like it had been for me. 40 years ago, and not seen again until this point that we're talking about this morning. Unlike me and my GPS dependency, I'm sure Moses remembered where he was going. Well, unlike happy homecoming experiences, it was happy in some ways, but Moses' homecoming was a little bit more complicated. So, if you brought your Bible with you this morning, uh, please turn to Exodus chapter 4. We're going to be focusing on just a few verses, verses 18 through 20. Uh, I would say, if you, if you didn't bring your Bible, you could find one in the pew in front of you, but you're not going to have much luck doing that this morning. Uh, but if you have a smartphone with you, you're also in luck. Uh, you can look this up on your favorite Bible app on your smartphone. But in Exodus chapter 4, verses 18 through 20, we read this. Then Moses departed and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go, that I may return to my brethren who are in Egypt, and see if they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. That was our scripture reading. Now the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt. For all the men who are seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and mounted them on a donkey and returned to the land of Egypt. Moses also took the staff of God in his hand. This event is immediately after Moses has his conversation with God through the burning bush. Right after this, he returns to his in-laws. We have to remember at this point, Moses' in-laws were his only family. It would have been dishonorable to not at least ask his father-in-law, who he was working for, for time off, so this is what Moses does. We see here a glimpse into Jethro's heart. Yes, he was a proud man. Yes, he descended from Midian, but he was at least sensitive to the one true God and Moses' connection to the one true God. We know of Moses having only two sons, so apparently over the course of 40 years, once Moses married Zipporah and then started herding sheep, Moses and Zipporah had two sons, Bershom and Eliezer. So here Moses packs up his wife Zipporah and two sons and heads to Egypt. 
his sons would have been adults at this point, so they're not sitting on this donkey that, we're going to, that they're going to Egypt with, but they're apparently not married yet. We know they're adults because it's been 40 years since Moses married Zephora, and they would have been born pretty early on in their marriage. We can assume they're not married yet because they didn't stay behind with any possible wives and subsequent families. They went with their father and their mother down to Egypt. We, we read that all of their belongings fit on one donkey. Did you notice that when we read that? that all of their belongings fit on one donkey that they were taking to Egypt with them anyway. What does this tell us? Well, this indicates that Moses' family obviously thought their trip to Egypt was going to be a short one. Maybe an overnight trip or something, and then they'd be on their way back. In their minds, they only thought this was going to be a homecoming visit. So Moses could visit his Israelite family still in slavery. Moses had obviously kept all the information God told him about leading Israel out of Egypt, through the wilderness, and into Canaan, a very close secret. Why would Moses have cared whether or not they came with him? Well, what we see here is we see that Moses really did love his family. We don't think about that much in connection with Moses, that Moses really did love his family. Moses loved his family so much that he wanted them to see the signs and see the wonders that his father's God would do in Egypt. Now, why would he want to do this? Well, we have to remember that Zipporah, Gershom, and Eliezer were probably not much acquainted with the Hebrew God at this point, as they had lived as Midianites their whole lives. Moses loved them so much that he wanted them to know his God. On the way, God reiterates what he had told Moses at the burning bush, and then there's a weird event that happens in verse 24. Now it came about at the lodging place on the way that the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Now that's why I said this is weird. Have you ever, have any of you been on a road trip or a flight to go visit family and then all of a sudden God himself shows up, meets you along the way and tries to kill you? I don't think any of us have had that experience. What in the world is going on here? Isn't Moses the one God has called to free his people from Egypt? Now all of a sudden he shows up out of nowhere and tries to kill Moses himself? And what's going on here? Long story short, what did Moses do that led him to running away from Egypt in the first place? He had killed a man. He had killed a man and he never answered for it. He had fled to a place of refuge, Midian, but now had left the safety of that place of refuge and was out in the wide open. Even though the, those who would have sought revenge for that death are now dead themselves, God's justice drove him to fulfill the revenge himself. How did Moses manage to escape this justice was that his wife, in an ancient ritual in verse, verses 25 through 26, uh, uh, protected him. So what was one to do to protect a man who had just left the border of the place that he sought his refuge from his crime? Well, what you do is you extend the protection of the ones from that land of refuge over the accused person so that they would be protected. The practice was observed by the Midianites to extend protection 
of the family over a man and his children by the shedding of blood through circumcision, which seems to be the case, then Zipporah was taking advantage of this ancient custom to protect her husband for the crime, from the crime he was now held accountable for. That's why Zipporah declared to Moses in verse 26, you are indeed a bridegroom of blood to me. Because the blood requirement was paid to provide the extension through marriage of the protecting Midianite family. Well, we're protected by blood too, aren't we? We're protected from the crime of our sin and eternal condemnation from the, for that sin by the blood of Jesus. So what seems to be a thoughtless, mean, and weird act by God is actually, actually to be seen as an act of mercy on his part. To protect Moses, both his honor before the Israelites and serve as a protection from the crime he committed 40 years prior to this, and to give us a little bit of a glimpse at what Jesus would do for us through the shedding of his blood, God provided a quick way to fulfill all of these purposes before anything else could happen. Moses and probably his family continue on to Mount Horeb, where God met Moses prior to this at the burning bush, verses 27 through 28. Now the Lord said to Aaron, go to meet Moses in the wilderness. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Aaron was the first one to believe Moses and believe God had sent him. This, I'm sure, was a bolster to Moses' faith. He could now see that what God had said would come true, that Israel would believe that he was sent by God this time, and it was now coming true. This may or may not have been the first time Moses and Aaron met as adults, since Moses had ran away from Egypt 40 years before that. It's quite possible that this was the first time in 40 years. Imagine the emotion between the two brothers, seeing each other for the first time in 40 years. And this wasn't just a reunion between two brothers. These were two brothers that God had called for a special mission together. There was a lot to talk about, both about family over the past 40 years, but also, as we read in verse 28, a lot of discussion about what was supernaturally about to take place, what God was about to do. For Aaron, this was not only a joyful reunion between him and his long-lost brother, but an overwhelming source of hope that Israel was finally going to be free from slavery in a relatively short time. This was the first homecoming reunion, a homecoming reunion between two brothers, a family homecoming reunion. Here's the second homecoming reunion, that between Moses and the rest of his people, verses 29 through 31. Then Moses and Aaron went and assembled all the elders of the sons of Israel, and Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. He then performed the signs in the sight of the people. So the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord was concerned about the sons of Israel, and that he had seen their affliction, and they bowed low and worshipped. Leaders of Israel now believed 
the words and signs of Moses that God gave to him. And you know what? This experience wasn't just to bolster Moses' faith again by proving God's prophecy right again, but it was to increase Israel's faith. They now had an answer. They had been crying out to God for hundreds of years with no hope of anything changing. But now it was time. The man whom they had rejected 40 years ago was now back as the answer to their prayers and as the one who would be used to deliver them from slavery. God remembered Israel. It was declared to them and mercy had come. There was one more homecoming to happen, though, and that was Moses' homecoming to the palace he once called home for 40 years of his life. Now, when you line this up with an early Exodus date, which is the most biblically and historically accurate view, there were four pharaohs who ruled Egypt during Moses' lifetime. You don't see that in the movies. But there are actually four different pharaohs that ruled Egypt during Moses' lifetime. The first one was named the I. And he was the pharaoh during Moses' first years of life an extremely nationalistic king who feared the Israelite population and sought to cut the male population way down. the I had a famous daughter named Hatshepsut, who was the one to draw up Moses out of the river and who raised him in the palace. The second pharaoh, the II, only ruled for eight years before he died. At that point, Hatshepsut seized an opportunity to co-rule with Tutmos III, you can tell these guys are real creative with their names, who, who was too young to rule by himself. So Moses' adoptive brother, Tutmos III, was the pharaoh at the time that Moses killed the Egyptian taskmaster and fled Egypt. In fact, we can find out from historical record that Tutmos III resented his mother for co-ruling with him. Hatshepsut died when Moses was about 40 years old, and when she died, Tutmos III made it his mission to remove all mention of his mother from Egyptian history. Talk about a bad mother-son relationship. So no wonder the environment towards Moses was already hostile, Moses is going through this identity crisis, goes to look upon his people in slavery, sees one getting beaten, kills the Egyptian taskmaster, and now Moses is fearing for his life after killing him. All of this makes a whole lot of sense when connected to history. But Tutmos III was not the same pharaoh that Moses' homecoming to Egypt all the plagues that happened after that in Israel leaving Egypt. He was not the same pharaoh. That pharaoh was a new one, fourth one, named Amenhotep II. Amenhotep II inherited the kingdom from his father, Tutmos III, when he was only 18 years old. His youth and strength in battle fueled his ridiculous, ridiculous amount of pride and arrogance and explains his absolute staunch refusal to let go of the largest workforce Egypt had ever seen. 
What this also tells us is that contrary to other retellings of the Exodus story, the Pharaoh at Moses' homecoming was not his brother. It was an entirely different man with no personal connection to Moses whatsoever, other than possibly a very stretched and estranged adoptive uncle-slash-nephew relationship. They didn't even know each other existed. Amenhotep had been born while Moses had been in Midian for 22 years already. So in actuality, they didn't even know each other existed. There was no personal relationship whatsoever. What happens when Moses experiences his third homecoming? Chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. And afterward, Moses and Aaron came and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may celebrate a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and besides... I will not let Israel go. This is a completely opposite response to Moses' first two homecomings. Those were emotional highs, full of joy, full of hope, full of promise. This one was met with and full of arrogance, ignorance, and spite. In fact, this third homecoming would be the longest and the most painful for Moses' adoptive nation. And it would be the messiest one between Moses and the place he once called home. In the case between Moses and his original home, there may be mess messy relationships between you and other family members. They may be full of arrogance and stubbornness, like the ruler of Moses' old home. They may be downright painful relationships, God still has a purpose. Things may not be going the way you want them to, but it ultimately doesn't matter. If you are following Jesus, things are going exactly the way that God wants them to. No, it's not going to be easy. No, it's not going to make sense. But you know what? It's stretching your faith. We follow Jesus and leave all the rest of everything else up to God. God will heal relationships in his timing. God will bring loved ones to faith in his timing. In the case between Moses and his brother and his people, you may have been praying for something for a very long time. Restored health, restored relationships, restored hope. Don't stop praying. Healing will come in God's timing. His grace and mercy are sufficient for you every second of every day. The Apostle Paul had something that plagued him day in and day out. Scholars have debated what this actually was, another person. <laughs> I can see that. A health issue, a weakness towards a certain sin, but it's not clarified. And I think it was because it was never supposed to be clarified. That way, whatever is causing us discouragement, depression, and pain, we can apply what God says next to whatever keeps bringing us down. After Paul asks God a third time to remove what is plaguing him, 
And he says, God, why can't you just take this away from me? Why won't you just take this away from me? This is God's response to him. And this is what we all need to hear this morning in the midst of what longing or pain we've been praying about for years and years and years. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, And he has said to me, God has said to me, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. And that's what it all comes down to. The only reason we can have any hope, the only reason we can have any healing, the only reason we can have any peace is because Jesus took our sin upon the cross, paid our sin death debt on our behalf so that we didn't have to go through that. And if we come before him and we repent of our sin and we take him as Savior and King, we too will have all of this unending peace and hope and joy. So don't be brought down and held down by what is causing you strife. Don't let that define you. Don't let that keep you under its thumb. Instead, use it as an opportunity to praise God. Because you wouldn't have the strength he's giving to you now if it weren't for these painful experiences. You now have Christ's power dwelling in you because of that pain. So as difficult as it is to hear, the Apostle James tells us to rejoice in it. Now that's a crazy thought, but that's what God's Word tells us to do, to rejoice in it, to see every trial we go through as an opportunity for joy. Thank God for it even. I know that's weird for me to say, but thank God for it even because you're now able to let go of your power and rely completely on God's eternal power. Pain means pruning, and pruning is a good thing. Pruning is meant to cut off things that are destructive to us, and pruning is meant for our spiritual growth and health and good. It's okay to keep praying for relief, because God may bring it after this current season of pruning is over. But even in the midst of this season of pruning, rest in God, knowing that he is still in control and he is giving you the daily strength to face those difficult things in your path. And that, boil everything down, gives us joy. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this story in Moses' life of his homecoming back to the land of Egypt, a land that he had ran away from four years before that. There are a few different homecoming experiences in that. We thank you for all that that teaches us, a glimpse at the blood of Jesus covering us for the crimes of our sin, and the joy that is set before us because Jesus took our place on the cross. And we know where he is right now, preparing our heavenly home for us. And because of that, and, and if we have taken him as Savior and King, and we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us right now, we can see every trial, every painful experience we go through as an opportunity for joy. 
and an opportunity for joy because we can let go of our power and rely completely on God's eternal power. Let us go from this place today, letting go of our own strength, letting go of our own power, our own wisdom, and relying completely on God's. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name.